when you're ready. Let's start this game. Welcome to Unstacked and Let's Unwind with author Brendan Slocum. Let's find out about his writing process, his riveting debut thriller, The Violin Conspiracy, and his love of music. Hey, this is Sarah from the Bay County Public Library. Hey, this is Stephen from the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library. Hey, this is Brendan Slocum. Can you introduce our listeners to your debut novel, The Violin Conspiracy? Happy to. Uh, The Violin Conspiracy is the story of Ray who discovers that his old family fiddle is actually a priceless Stradivarius violin. And that discovery catapults him into superstardom in the world of classical music. And before the Tchaikovsky competition, which is the Olympics of classical music, his violin is stolen. Will he get it back? Will he compete? Have to read The Violin Conspiracy to find out. And I cannot believe this is your debut novel since it's so beautifully written. There is a musicality to your use of words. They almost kind of swirl around and the story itself is mesmerizing. It's one of the rare titles where I just wanted to sit and read it in one sitting. So how did you begin the process of writing fiction? Well, uh, believe it or not, it was the summer of 2020 that uh, totally made this possible. Like a lot of other authors, I've got a couple of novels under my mattress someplace that I hope no one ever reads. But uh, 2020 gave me a lot of time to be able to sit down and write, you know, because as a working musician, all of my gigs were canceled. No recitals, no concerts, no weddings, just nothing. Nothing was going on. So I took uh, advantage of the time that I had. It was either that or sit on the couch and eat all day. And as fat as I was getting, it was time to uh, start doing something else. So uh, I really took a serious dive into, into writing more. And I was given great advice that write what you know. My first couple of things were science fiction. I don't know science fiction as well as I know music. So uh, I stuck with it and Violent Conspiracy was born. And there is a pure joy in your writing when it comes to talking about music and the violin. Can you introduce our listeners to your musical background? And do you have a favorite composer? Oh, you're giving me these tough questions. One composer, geez. Uh, I am a violinist. I started playing violin at age nine when I was in the fifth grade through a public school music program. And uh, I continued through high school and I had a phenomenal teacher in college who not only I thought I knew how to play the violin before I met her but no she taught me how to play the violin and she taught me how to teach and I decided to take advantage of everything that college had to offer me so I took flute and clarinet lessons as well you know and I just continued to play since I graduated from college I've been a high school band and orchestra and guitar teacher as well as a general music teacher for elementary through 12th grade and it's just been, you know, that the highlight of my life. It is, it is my life. Music's my life. And uh, the favorite component, oh, that one is tough. I have so many favorite ones, but I'm just going to go with, it's, it's really close between Antonio Vivaldi and Antonin Dvorak. Yeah, let's just go with those two. That's perfect. <laughs> just to get off a little bit of track here, I've, I've got two kids and my young, one has hates music with all his passion. And the other one is, is <laughs> if he's playing, he's got a theme song going and uh, second grade, they've just introduced him to violin and he's was very entranced with it. What advice would you give to, to a, to a, a little guy getting ready to pick up the violin and try to try to play it? 
Wow. Uh, okay. First, I'd give advice to the parents. Be aware it is going to sound horrible. Just know that it will just for a little bit, but it's going to get better. Um, uh, the advice to the beginning violinist, don't quit. It is not easy. There's, you know, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Remember why you gravitated towards it. If you love it, if you love music, then it's going to love you back. But you've got to do your part. You know, if, if, if your teacher says to practice for 20, 30 minutes a day, make sure you do it. And the violin will give you just as much love as the music has, I promise. So how did you find your voice as a writer? Oh, wow. Um, these stories have actually been in my head for the violent conspiracy for since I was nine, literally since I was nine years old. And um, like I mentioned earlier, the summer of 2020 just gave me an opportunity to just really sit down and, and just dive into it seriously. And uh, I discovered in, in some of my writing that uh, I get very technical, especially with the musical aspects. And, you know, if I was talking to another musician, sure, it's just like a regular conversation. But for non-musicians, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So I really needed to go back and do a lot of, um, I, I added a, a ton of imagery and, you know, just, you know, metaphors, just up and down just to make sure that things would would make sense to someone who was not a musician and that was kind of fun to do because you know it, it just gave me i was like how can i do this differently you know like it's, it's like playing a piece of music i'll play it this way and then i'll play it another way they're both good but which one is going to work out best for this particular performance so it was it was kind of cool so um with this being that that first debut novel kind of thing how close to the the original manuscript we have do we get to the actual release what was that editing process you know i i have to say um uh, first i have a terrific team you know my, my editors gave me just the most uh, thoughtful advice on revisions did not have to do a great deal the only thing that we uh, changed around some uh, some of the pacing was was getting a little slow in areas so I switched some chapters around you know like chapter 16 ended up being chapter four and vice versa just moving things around that was the big editorial um, aspect about the, the draft was pretty close um, in some other interviews, you had mentioned that this book was about 92% of uh, your real life experience. Uh, obviously, with it being a, a, a COVID year and, you know, a lot of people do research, travel, visit places kind of stuff that kind of limited. So what was the experience like uh, versus that having that own personal experience versus uh, trying to bring in that rest of the story with it and uh, how it impacted you not being able to go out and, and get hands on with some of these things? Well, fortunately, um, like I mentioned, I, I've been doing having these stories collected in my head since nine, and I just have a really solid memory for the way things went down and the and the people that I've met and voices and everything. So that aspect wasn't too difficult at all. But uh, there's a, a big chunk of the story that takes place in Russia. And, you know, I, I wish I could have gone over to Russia to do, um, you know, some hands-on research. But I tell you, the internet is a wonderful thing. And when I tell you, I, I know everything there is to know about the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow. I could tell you how many steps from the hotel to the auditorium. I could tell you the color of the, the carpet. I could tell you everything. It, it's just, I, I, ad nauseum, I researched, you know, because I, I obviously couldn't go. But um, 
yeah, it, it was, it was fun. And, and for my friend, my, my next projects, I'm definitely going to uh, be able to, to travel more, to do some extensive research. It, you know, it, it, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Yeah. I was wondering about the Russia part as well. <laughs> Good old internet. I know. <laughs> There is a scene where Ray McMillan is arrested at a traffic stop. And after this experience, Ray vocalizes this experience to the public, which allows him more confidence in speaking up for himself. As writing this book and sharing the racism that exists in the world of classical music and in general helped you become more vocal about racial injustice. That's an excellent question. Um, in the story, Ray definitely finds his voice um, through some some adversity with the uh, traffic stop. And um, the traffic stop actually did happen to me in Baton Rouge. The only difference between Ray and my experience is he went to jail. I did not. I just had the gun pointed at me. Um, it, um, I, I, I would say that as of these experiences have allowed me to be more vocal and uh, about the experiences themselves and that they do happen. Whereas before, when I would, would, would tell my friends, these things are happening, they just wouldn't believe it. Now you're just exaggerating, but now I can say with confidence, you know, th these things actually do happen. You know, here it is. I'm giving you a firsthand account of it. And because you believe it, don't believe it. That's not my concern. I just want you to, to know that these things happen and know that my perspective on these things are valid. Um, the, one of the worst things that, that people have done and can do is to just invalidate your experiences because they're different. It's like, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong because it's different. It's just different. It's not your perception of what's happening. It's mine. And, you know, just, I want you to just respect that. And if that's come across, I think I've been much better about getting that point across to people as a result of uh, writing this book. Obviously, when you're writing these kind of deeply personal experiences, do you think that the writing brings a different relationship to you and your readers? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, I like to think that, well, when I'm writing, I, 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 wanna, I want to be entertained. I want a page turner. I want something that's going to make people go, you know, as I'm reading it, I want to go, what's next? I don't even want to be able to finish the last paragraph because I'm in such a hurry to turn the page. And I want that same experience for, for the readers. You know, I consider myself, I'm just like everyone else who picks up a book. This is what I want. And if I'm looking for that type of entertainment, then other people are as well. So I really want to try to, when I'm writing, make sure that it's, it's entertaining enough to people. They don't want to put it down. You know, it's like, I've had people say to me, I started reading at 7 PM and I didn't put it down until 2 AM. And you know, I, I kicked myself because I didn't want to put it down then. And, and that makes me feel good because that's exactly what I was going for. And I, I hope the uh, connection people, people totally get it. I'm a real person who wants these exact same things. To what extent do you think this is, this will influence or improve human life? Just having people kind of get that secondary perception that you are trying to, to share with them that not their perception, but the, what else is going on out there? Yeah, um, I, it, it's been fascinating, the response that I've gotten. People have written to me and told me that as a result of this book, people's lives are being changed. And, you know, it's changing lives and changing minds all across the world. And I'm just, what are you talking about? I just wanted to write a story that people would enjoy. And, you know, the fact that you're telling me that because 
someone is hearing, you know, stories like this for the first time and they don't believe it at first, but then because of the way that it's written there, there, it adds a sense of realism to it. You know, it, they believe that it's authentic, which it is. And I'm so happy that it comes across that way. And it really has, you know, opened people's minds to, you know, the different perspectives. It truly, truly has. People have written and told me that it has. And, you know, I was in Dallas at an event and one guy told me, he said, I didn't believe any of this until I read your author's notes. And then I had to take a step back. You know, why didn't I believe this? Because it would have never happened to me, you know, but that doesn't mean that it wouldn't ever happen to someone else. You know, we look completely different. We're from two different worlds. So it really has expanded people's perceptions. And I'm really happy to hear that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's an unintended uh, consequence, which is great. And um, I'm really grateful that that's beginning to take place. It's really powerful. That is just, I mean, see the smile on my face is, I, I, that's great. I never, never would have thought, ever would have thought that. You know, I had a friend tell me, Brendan, when you were, you remember when we were in college and we were in a practice room and you told me you're going to write a story about your life. I can't believe you actually did it. It was 30 years later, but I, I actually did it. And, you know, it's just amazing that the reception that it's gotten. And speaking of reception, that goes perfectly with my next question. So you were the Good Morning America's Book Club pick for February. You were interviewed on NPR. You got to perform at the Carnegie. Um, How did you think the reception of the book was going to be versus how it's going? Oh, my gosh. Night and day. Like, like I mentioned, I just wanted someone to enjoy the story. That's all I wanted. Um, I, I never set out to, you know, be able to, to have a, a book club pick or be able to play in Carnegie Hall. That was never, ever on my radar. And the fact that these things are happening and it's, it's incredible and as amazing as all of those things are. Um, just the fact that someone likes it, you know, people are really enjoying this book. That's what gets me the most, you know, every day I wake up, I just, I thank God. I'm like, this is an incredible opportunity that I am so grateful for. I'm so grateful. I went out and got a tattoo that says, thank you on my forearm. And that's just, that's, that's how I feel about it. It's just, it's an incredible experience. And this journey is just, I'm enjoying every second of it. Well, there's a lot of talent behind that as well and hard work. <laughs> uh, maybe a little, a lot of hard work, a little bit of talent, maybe a little. This book is a mystery. And from what I understand, you got a, some more mysteries coming. So with mysteries, do you start with, in your, when you're writing, in your writing process, do you start with the ending and then kind of work backwards to disguise the twists or how, how do you go about framing it? I, I wish I could do that. No, um, I, it's it's actually a mystery to me until the very end. Who the who done it? I'm a big fan of uh, Agatha Christie. I've I've loved all of her books. You know, growing up, I would read. I think I've read Death on the Nile like four or five times, and uh, that was the first one that I read cover to cover. And I was so angry that I couldn't figure out who did it. And I just you know I was fascinated by the way she um, you know laid out her mysteries, and she would often go back after writing the entire story and then put the whodunit in. It's like, okay, I'm gonna make it this character. And that's kind of the way that I, uh, I approached at least the violin conspiracy. And in my next couple of books, I'm gonna do the same thing. Like uh, the, the whodunit, the, the, the villain or you know whatever. I, no, n- I never know until the absolute end. And I go back and I pull an Agatha Christie. That's what I call it. And yours is so much a modern Agatha Christie. You've got Bitcoin, you've got crowdsourcing, 
Um, how did you incorporate those elements as well into your mystery? Well, um, you know, like 30 years ago, there was no internet. So there, it, I, if I were writing the story from a perspective of 30 years ago, none of that stuff would have been, it would have been, you know, a drop a bag of money, uh, you know, in a garbage can over here. But I am, you know, we're all in the 21st century. So, you know, you have to reflect that in your writing. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin was one of the first things that came up and, you know, crowdsourcing. These, these are things that people do every day. And it adds, you know, it gives it a sense of authenticity because this is what normal people do on a regular basis. So I wanted it to be as authentic as possible. So let's, let's bring it into the 21st century. We play a game here, and because we are a, a PG-style program, I'm not allowed to say the, the, the words that this game normally would say, but we call it Kiss, Mary Ditch. Kiss, Mary Ditch. Now, let me see. What could that possibly, <laughs> possibly um, stand for? Okay. <laughs> so I've got, a, I've got three categories here that I'm going to let you pick one of. And then I'll have, I'll, I'll present the, the, to let you know what it is, but the, the categories, I frame them so you don't know exactly what you're getting into right away. <laughs> okay, this sounds fun already. So you get a choice of strung together, whodunit, or mustache twirling. Okay, I gotta go with the mustache twirling. <laughs> All right, this is going to be picking, you're gonna kiss Mary Ditch, so love, like, get rid of one, villain group from comics. Oh, and I, I had two choices because I wasn't sure which direction I was going to go, DC or or, uh, or Marvel here. But based on the on the pictures in the back, I'm going DC. Okay. Well, the Marvel ones are in front of me over here. <laughs> you just can't see them. But yeah, I'm an equal opportunity comic guy. Here, here's, here's the three you get to choose from. All right. Flash's Rogues, mm -hmm. the Arkham Inmates, or the Injustice League. You got to keep, you love one, you like one, you're getting rid of one group. We're going to get rid of the Flash's Rogues. We are going to like the Arkham inmates and we're going to love uh, the Injustice League. All right. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, don't, I think I would have lost the, the Injustice and kept the rogues just because oh. they're so goofy. Yeah, they are goofy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're not worth it. <laughs> the Marvel section would have gotten you the Sinister Six, the Brotherhood of, of Evil Mutants, and the Masters of Evil. Oh, okay. Get rid of the Masters of Evil like the Sinister Six and um, Brotherhood of Mutants. You got to love them. Evil mutants, excuse me, evil, evil. <laughs> you know, Strung our together comics, that's been awesome. Pick, would have been picking the, the getting rid of, of Stradivarius, Ducesi, or Amadi for violin. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> oh, no, I'm so glad I didn't pick that one. <laughs> and then whodunit would have been picking Agatha Christie, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, or P.D. James for your mystery writers. Oh, that would have been super easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. super easy. You know, Ag me and Agatha are like this. <laughs> My favorite character is Grandma Nora and her and her Ray's relationship. Um, and he even pays tribute to her in his performances. And it's just delightful and full of love. Which character was your favorite to write and why? Oh, God, this is, oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> I, I, I actually loved writing Grandma Nora as well. I mean, I loved her because... She's my actual grandmother. And mm -hmm. as I was writing her, I imagined her leaning over my right shoulder, just, you know, she's, she's speaking softly into my ear and I could hear her voice as I was writing. But I think my favorite character is Dr. Janice Stevens, because 
She was modeled after my violin teacher, Dr. Rochelle Vetter Huang, when I was in college. And when I let her read the manuscript, she was just, Brendan, I can't believe you remember these, these circumstances and these instances, even what I played. I was like, you changed my life. You taught me how to play the violin. You taught me how to teach. I remember every single thing about it. And I really wanted to pay homage to her in this book. And I hope that it, it came across in the story and the character of Dr. Janice Stevens. It did, because that was going to be my next question was whether you had a mentor that was as wonderful as Dr. Jenna Stevens. So you've already answered that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, she's my favorite person in the world. I love her to death. So who are, getting back to to these villains that I was talking about, who are your favorite fictional heroes, villains, heroinesses, villainesses? Fictional, let me see. Oh, um... In terms of literary, are we talking comics? Because you I know, whatever whatever sparks that creativity. I mean, a a, a, vil- a hero is only as good as whatever the villain's going to do, right? Oh wow, I, I like that. I like that way of thinking. That's great. Uh, let me see. Um, I, I have to say, one of my my favorite. Um, again, I, I I love Sherlock Holmes stories. Conan Doyle is great. Um, I, I've always admired Hercule Poirot just because he can get away with that mustache and he does. And um, just the way I, I love the way he's written because he's, he's a hero yet, you know, he's got issues like everyone else. He's definitely got his problems yet. He works through them and he manages, you know, to, to, he, he, he keeps everything in perspective, even though he's got his own things going on. And that's always, I, that's always been an admirable uh, characteristic uh, in, in my writing. And I, I try to imitate that a little bit. Um, and what, who else? Let me think. Um, oh, okay. Going comic wise, you, you can't go wrong with, with Spider-Man and Batman because, you know, there were, were just two normal guys, both affected by tragedy and they didn't let the tragedy overtake them, you know, didn't let them turn into the dark side, so to speak. And, um, I, I, I've been actually compared to both of them. My friends have said, especially after reading this novel, Brendan, you've been through so much, yet you're still a nice guy. And I think, well, I'm glad you think that I'm a nice guy. That's great. So I'm happy about that. And I guess something is working out okay. So yes, those are my heroes. A little bit darker in tone in one direction than the other. <laughs> Just a little bit, a little bit. Um, so normally I, I will ask what what your 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 turn ons or turn offs as a reader or watcher, but let's because we're we're dealing with music here as well. Let's go as far as listening too. So what when you're listening, reading, watching something, what is it that that hooks you? Or when you hear it or see it immediately, you're like, I'm out. <laughs> These are fantastic questions. I love it. All right, so I am. I have discovered over the last um, several years that I am not the normal musician or artist um, because as a musician when I'm listening to a song for the first time I don't listen to the lyrics at all I rarely listen to the lyrics I mean there are songs that I have known for decades that I don't even know the words to but I know the song Um, I always listen to the music if the beat is good if the melody is good if it harmonizes in the right places and if it does interesting harmonies oh I'm all in a hundred percent But, you know, if it's a lame beat or just I'm like, I don't even want to hear any of this. And classical music is is the worst for me because a lot of people put on classical music to relax or when they're, you know, trying to de-stress or if they're doing some work, they want it on in the background. I can't do it. 
I am constantly analyzing it. If I'm listening to a Mozart symphony, it's like, ah, we need more oboe there. Oh, you know what? The violins are a little flat. Ah, that staccato could have been sharper. That it just never, I never, ever, ever get to just listen to it for enjoyment. It's always being analyzed. So anything besides classical music, I can actually listen to and, and get work done and, and, and be, you know, relax, anything but classical music. But uh, yeah, if it doesn't have a good beat or a good melody, I don't want to hear it. One of my um, many reasons that I enjoyed the violin conspiracy is that it's a high story. And I was reading the notes in the back. And one of the nonfiction titles that I always recommend to people is Priceless, How I Went Undercover to Rescue the World's Stolen Treasures by Robert Whitman. Mm -hmm. And I saw that he was a um, someone that you were able to chat with on. And he's done a lot of actual cases that are similar what was that like? That is pretty awesome. <laughs> it was very, very cool. He was a really nice guy. He, 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 you know, he offered his time uh, to sit for an interview and I wanted to make sure I got as much information out of him as possible, you know, again, to add to, to the um, aura of authenticity, you know, okay, who better to talk to than someone who has dealt with something like this? And, you know, it, it, I really discovered, I learned so much about what actually takes place when you know not only these these priceless instruments or paintings are stolen, but you know the process of trying to find them, and when you do find out who took them, you know they've got leverage because if you know I know I'm going to get a hundred years in prison for stealing this, but if I tell you where this piece of art is, you know you can knock fifty years off of this. And you know, it was amazing to me. It's like whoa, people really do this. And you know, like when someone steals, he was oh just the information that he gave when someone steals, let's say a, a, a Stradivarius it will literally sit because you can't do anything with it. And, you know, no one wants to buy it because it's a hot item, you know, and, and it's just, it will just literally sit in your, 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 your vault for years until you decide to sell it. It's time for me to get rid of it. It's just fascinating to me. And he was just so generous with his time and his information. And it was, it was an amazing experience. I would love to be part of the <laughs> FBI art recovery unit and just the wealth of knowledge on both knowing the artifacts as well as the history and then being able to go talk so undercover and try and retrieve these items. I feel oh, yeah. like he would be very personable and be oh, able yeah. to morph and kind of the chameleon. Um, and then I have a follow-up, which um, is, have you ever personally handled a Stradivarius? Not yet. And I, I preface that by saying I, I will have the opportunity very soon uh, to actually play a Stradivarius. I've been invited to a classical music jam session in New York City. And as soon as we figure out the dates, I am going to play a Stradivarius. And that will be a huge check off of my bucket list, you know, and it's the, the, the top of the top of the top of the top of my bucket list. And, and for most violinists, I think it is as well, because, you know, there are only a handful of them in the world. And to be able to say, oh, yeah, I played one of those. It's just <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm giddy just thinking about it. I can't wait. I you know, I, I don't even know what I'm going to play, but I, I got to start <laughs> practicing something. I'm going to use my fiddle over there, but it won't even come close. That's amazing. Are we going to be able to see a recording of this or? It is quite possible. We're trying to work out the details right now as far as some some type of uh, publicity towards the, towards. The, we haven't quite worked it out yet, but we're getting there. Yet. Okay. I like to use that that three letter word yet. <laughs> so that kind of raises a question that it's a, in a way it's a silly question because 
having now done the research, I know the answer, but I got to, I got to, I got <laughs> to get the question out for everybody else that hasn't spent that time. Violin and fiddle. I understand it's the same thing, but it's used in different connotations. And to, to, like, you know, when it's highfalutin artwork, it's violin. When it's that, that, that gut churning, you know, bluesy kind of like soul music kind of thing where it's coming from that gut, it's called the fiddle or the blues or the bluegrass or what have you. I mean, it's the same instrument. So does the name, when you call it that, give kind of an influence to the music that comes from it? I think so. And not only the music that comes from, well, first, congratulations on doing that research. There's so many people that would have, I don't know, I, I, it's two different instruments. I'm sure it is. But um, yeah, it, I, I think it, it, it actually affects the player more than the actual music. It's like if you say you're playing a fiddle, you know, you, you get uh, people kind of look at you like, okay, well, you're, this is more of a fun thing for you. It's fun, it's recreational. But if you're a violinist, you know, oh, you're very serious, you know, your nose is way up here and you're, you're, you know, you have your tuxedo on and your bow tie and you're doing this. And I think it's more indicative of the player as opposed to the music that, you know, is played. And me being the guy that I am, I just use them interchangeably. Oh yeah, I got to grab my fiddle and I'll come and play at your, you know, your, your wedding, or I'm grabbing my fiddle and I have to go play this concert. I'm doing a recital. And it's like, oh, you're going to play the fiddle tonight. I was like, well, yeah, it's the same thing as a violin. It's just, just in that attitude that you have when you play it. And I like to think that um, it's, it's still fun. It's always been fun for me. So it's always going to be a fiddle to me. So we, when we have that Stradivarius in our hands, it's going to be <laughs> fiddle playing or is it going to be violin playing? You know, I'm going to, I know a little bit of bluegrass. I got to spend some time in Nashville. So I know some bluegrass. First thing I'm, I think I, first thing I'm going to do, and it's because of you guys in this interview today, first thing I'm going to do is play um, uh, Bill Cheatham, which is a great bluegrass song. The first thing I'm going to play, I'm going to start practicing that on my fiddle. So yes, I play Bill Cheatham on a Strad. What? <laughs> you had a Strad, you play Bill Cheatham? Yes, that's going to be me. We have a, a, a mountain dulcimer group at the library, and I love fiddle tunes because they're really fast and they're, mm -hmm. they're really fun to play. I'm not very good at going super fast, but I do like to go on the faster side. So. They, you know, playing bluegrass stuff is one of the most challenging uh, genres of music to play. And it's, I mean, it's tough. So my, my hat is off to anybody who can do it well. And, you know, and, and the fact that they do it, a lot of musicians do it, you know, just wrote and with no music. And I'm like, yeah, if you have this written down, I could play it. But uh, yeah, I got to use my ears now. Uh, it's, it's a good exercise. It's really good. I love playing that stuff. I think it, it touches on both of us because they have a bluegrass festival down there in the in Panama City. I, I or at least you used to have over there under under the oaks once a year. And uh, we just had a bluegrass uh, activity at one of our libraries up here. So you know, I didn't. You're, you're speaking to the choir here. Why didn't I get an invite? I totally would have come up. Oh my gosh. So musician and writer. Now, what comes easier, music or words? <laughs> I get asked that question a lot. And um, I was in conversation with my editor uh, a couple of weeks back and that question was asked. And of course he was sitting there. So the words come easier naturally. But now that I am in the company of musicians, oh my gosh, the music is so much easier. <laughs> you know, and I, I've been doing this all of my life and and the writing is, is uh, you know, has not happened, uh, has not been taking place as long as the musicianship has. So the music is definitely easier for me. And speaking of music, you have a podcast called How Music Can Save Your Life. Can you introduce our listeners to your podcast 
And were there any interviews where you were just like so excited to, I mean, all of the musicians seem awesome. So was there one that you were like, yes. How Music Can Save Your Life has been so much fun and such a, an incredible learning experience for me. Um, yeah, I was offered uh, to do this podcast and, you know, I, of course I jumped on it. This is great. It is a, an amazing group of people that I get to interview and their stories are incredible and their experiences are just, you know, you could, I could just sit and talk to these people for hours and my IQ has gone up at least 40 points by listening to these people. Um, they tell stories of their experiences growing up and and you know how music has affected them and what it does for other people. And some are professional musicians, some are jazz musicians, some are classical, some are conductors, some are rock musicians. And just their stories, we could all, I mean, there, there's a couple that I was sitting and listening to. We could have you know, switched places because their stories are exactly like mine. And the fact that you know, people have these similar stories that, and they're just all over the world and people just don't know about it. And it's mostly, it's, it's, it's uh, black artists who uh, tell, talk about their experiences growing up and what they've had to deal with to get to the point where they currently are. And, um, you know, I, I talked to Dr. Leslie Dunner, who is the conductor. He conducted the Detroit Symphony for a while, and he's currently the Interlochen um, music director. Um, I talked to Victor Wooten, who's the bass player for Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. I talked to um, just, uh, you know, just uh, names are escaping me right now. And just the story. I mean, if you want to learn something, if you want a different perspective on people that you never would have thought would have had to go through what they've gone through to get to where they are. It's an incredible experience and I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a musician, you get life lessons. I tell you some of the things that I've learned, I'm, I'm saying to other people now, I say these things because I've heard people, you know, give me this information, which is just, it, it's, it's a life-changing experience listening to these people. And I highly recommend the podcast to everyone. So please go out and listen to it. It's, it's amazing. The ones I've listened to so far are, are really wonderful and everyone's so down to earth, which mm -hmm. is like super exciting. Yeah, I never would have thought. I'm like, wait a minute, we're, you're talking to me like we're friends and that is, hey, are we friends now? That's cool. All right, I like it. All right, we're good. And then you are an educator as well. What advice do you provide your students, whether in life or in music? Oh, and you wow. might have answered this a little bit before, <laughs> but. <laughs> in, in, in music. I always tell my students, regardless of whatever level they come in, you know, whatever level they start with, I, I meet them where they are. And I say, you know, I, I, we're going, I'm going to take you further. If you do what I ask you to do, I promise you, you're going to get better. This is going to happen. And, and I'm always honest in my feedback with them. If they play something great, I tell them, I shout it to the world. This is fantastic. You did a great job. And if it's not so great, I tell them, yeah, that was horrible. It's like my ears are bleeding. That sucked. What are you doing? Do this differently. Let's do this, do this, do this. And then if it's still horrible, I tell them, yeah, that was still bad. But if it, you know, the second it gets better, that's what we need to do. That's it. That's perfect. Nice job. And in terms of life, um, I, I love to just give my students advice that they're going to need for the real world. You know, I've been privileged enough to teach so many different types of kids from so many different ethnicities and backgrounds and, um, you know, to my black and Latino and Asian and Middle Eastern and just uh, to all my kids, my white kids, my just everyone, I tell them this is what's going to happen in life. And I want you to be prepared 
on, on how to deal with it because these things really do happen. Someone calls you out of your name. I'm going to do it right now and it's out of love because I'm trying to teach you. How are you gonna handle it? I, if you can handle me doing this now, coming out of love, how are you gonna handle it when someone who hates you and really wants to hurt you, they say it to you because it's going to happen. You know, and, and at first it's difficult, but then they get it. They're like, you know what, you're right. You're absolutely right. This happened to me. And I just kind of laughed it off because you know, I, I know that you know, they, they, it, they, it, they get it. It makes a lot of sense to them. And I just try to give really thoughtful life experience, uh, you know, advice to my kids because I want them to be successful. And I, not only do I want them to be successful, but I want them to be good people. Uh, touching on something from that, uh, you, you're an educator. Yeah. You, you're actively teaching. How has it changed now that you're, you know, national spotlight? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I don't um, It has changed. I don't get to teach my students as often as I would like to, just because I'm doing so many things now with, with this books and with, with my music and everything. I don't have as much time to practice and perform because I'm traveling or promoting the book or, or writing. And um, it's, it's, it's had an effect that way, but my students, they totally get it. I've been, they've sent me videos of them practicing just to let me know that they are still keeping up with what it is I've asked them to do. And, you know, certain, I, like I have some downtime. I just got back from out of town and I taught three lessons yesterday and I'm going to teach, you know, two more today. As soon as this interview is done, I, I'm going to go teach one of my adult students who just turned 68 yesterday. And, you know, he's got a piano lesson that he's, he's, he's promised me that he's practiced and I haven't seen him for a little while. So I'm looking forward to it. It's like, you know what? It was your birthday yesterday. If you didn't practice, that's okay. But yeah, just, I, I've not been able to teach as often as I would like to, but you know, I'll, I'll get back around to it. I'll, I'll make it work out. Uh, you say that it's okay that he didn't practice, but deep down, we know he, <laughs> you're judging him. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, totally. Totally. We won't tell him, but yeah, you know. We have a question that, well, we've got a couple questions that we have asked since day one. And, and this is one that will, until the day I die and are, are no longer able to do this podcast, I will answer, ask this question. Strangest thing in your search history. Okay. All right. Let me see. Strangest thing in my search history. Um, oh, ooh. Uh, okay. You know what? I got one. Strangest thing. And nobody's going to believe it because no one knows what this is. Um, I, I searched... I searched speedball. Okay, are we are we talking about uh, the the comic character or the uh, or the, uh, the 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 drugs? This is a PG show. I can't believe you just asked me that, Stephen. It's the comic character, of course. Yeah, I'm surprised that you actually know who he is. No oh, one knows I, who I, he is. I'm a huge comic fan. I, I, I you know, dude. We whether talk. we're talking we about, talk. yeah, we're talking about you know the the the. Uh, the, the, the warriors, or if we're talking about after he, he does his horrible stuff and we get into the whole dark penance. penance stuff. Oh, yeah. Just no. Okay. So, okay. Watch this. I'm going to show you this. And we're definitely talking about uh, uh, the uh, new warriors phase because, yeah, the penance thing, I'm just not so much a fan of. Let me show you that real quick. That's, oh, nice. That is on my phone. I am a <laughs> speedball fanatic. I'm a speedball fanatic. So yeah, people see that. Like, what? What? Are you, what are you looking at drugs? What is this? No, no, no. It's speedball. Yeah, I'm not a drug guy. I don't do that. Um, I've got a friend who will his hill to die on is Night Thrasher. So I'm I'm right there with you. Oh, all right, all right. I'm actually gonna get speedball tattooed right here. I'm gonna get that picture. I am. I'm gonna do is that, it. Is that the next one? That's the next one right there. And we are a library podcast. So um, what are you currently reading or watching? 
I am currently reading, I'm in the middle of a couple of books and I just finished, I have these right here. I just finished Riker's Calling by Rico Lamoureux, which was actually really good. It's a good uh, crime series. I'm into it. And I'm about to start reading Karma by Michael Albee. Um, I'm really looking forward to reading this. It's just, it's one of the disclaimer in the back. If you've received this book, it means that someone cares about you a whole awful lot. And I'm like, okay, I got to read this. Um, so, and I'm also about to read uh, Sisters of Night and Fog by Erica Roebuck. And I'm excited about that. And I've got a pile like this tall to read. And as far as what I'm watching, what am I watching? Um, I just started watching DMZ on um, HBO and I'm really digging that. And oh, what else? And of course, I'm into Young Justice on, uh, you know, HBO too. I'm a comic book freak. And what else? There's something else in my. Have you started Moon Knight yet? You know, I haven't. I'm going to wait until there are like six episodes so I can just go boom, 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 boom. But I, I just saw Spider-Man the other day or last week and I'm like, wow, this was really good. And I'm looking forward to Doctor Strange too and everything that comes with it. And yes, I'm just crazy excited. I am a huge Sam Raimi fan and, I, and I'm a moderate Doctor Strange fan, but the, the, the movies have kind of brought me around, but I am scared of this movie because. Oh, I, it, I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, knowing the comic series stuff, I'm like, okay, so many things could happen. There's, I really, and I saw that Miss America, America Chavez was in it. And I'm like, whoa, okay, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm excited. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, just email Steve and he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of uh, mysteries and comics here, have you tried any of the uh, Ed Brubaker uh, uh, series? Not yet. Actually, not yet. I'm planning on getting to, into them, but not yet. Not quite yet. He, he does a decent mystery for, for comic style. So yeah, I recommend that heavily. All right. So how, we, like we've said, we're a library podcast. So uh, how have libraries impacted your life? Oh, man. Um, I think libraries are part of the reason that I'm here today. As a kid, my uh, mom, every other weekend, she would take us, I, you know, I had three siblings and we would go to the library every other weekend and just, you know, my, my oldest brother would always check out books on airplanes and, you know, stuff about, uh, you know, war. And he was a huge airplane freak. He could tell you every kind of jet ever manufactured and, um, you know, my favorite plane because of him is an A-10 Warthog, which has been, you know, decommissioned now, which is a shame because that's a great airplane. My sister would always get medical stuff. She's a doctor now. Uh, I would always, I was going to be a biology teacher. I would always get books on dinosaurs and flowers and trees and insects and reptiles and just everything. I loved it. And my youngest brother, he was always just get whatever the rest of us got, you know, because he was kind of like, all right, well, you guys are doing it. So I'm going to do it too. But, you know, every other week we were in the library checking out books on, you know, that's it, it was it was a part of our life. And, you know, to this day, librarians are some of the most important people in the world. I really do think that they, they just provide so much opportunity for, for kids and, and adults who, who need it. And, and they're phenomenal. So my hat is off to you librarians. And I'm assuming you have something similar in your wallet right now that I have right there. Mine is digital. It's on my phone. <laughs> I, I, I spent a week and a half in D.C. and the wife was up there for a year. So I mooched off of off of her address so I could get me one of those things. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. Congrats. <laughs> but uh, th they have a wonderful library up there and it is it is definitely 
one of that, and I didn't get the chance to, to sneak into the Library of Congress. They, they said no to me at the door. Oh, I mean, they said COVID, but I think they saw me coming. <laughs> I'll see if I can put in a good word for you. <laughs> Could you share a little bit about the, the book you have in the future or um, that we can expect from you in the future or what will- you're working on? I will give you, I'm actually about to start my third book. I'm going to start oh it goodness. at the end of May. And um, I'm, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about it. I'm, uh, okay. I just woke up in the middle of the night one night and I started writing. I'm like, oh yes, this is it. But my, my next book that is going to be released uh, in February of 23, um, I'm really excited about it. It's called The Composer's Last Score. Don't let the title scare you off. It's not, uh, you don't have to be a musician or a music center just to get it. It's, it's a great story. Um, it's a story of America. It's a fictional story of America's preeminent composer. He's bigger than Bach and Beethoven and Mozart combined. Everyone across the world knows this guy. His 150th anniversary is coming up. So his descendants who run his foundation are planning a worldwide celebration. So they hire a music historian to uh, do some research to discover what his affinity for the black community was. You know, he's really close to the black community. You know, let's find out some stuff. Um, during his research, he discovers that this guy may not have written any of his music and it was potentially appropriated from a black woman who we now know would be living with autism. And his family will stop at nothing to keep that a secret. That sounds fascinating. I'll definitely I add like it to it. my list. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. I, I love the story. It's great. I'm a little biased though, but I, I, I like it. <laughs> and you have a third book as well. That's very impressive to have, have so a many. third, a fourth, a fifth, book, and they're all right here oh, in my, my head. And I'm, I'm so excited to get started writing them. But, you know, edits and everything. I got to get through book two first. And then, yeah. mm-hmm. Book two is going to be great. Don't, don't, don't. I'm not throwing it under the bus. It's going to be great. So is the intent to everything be standalone? Or are you kind of thinking about doing that Agatha Christie thing and have a uh, have a, a centralized character that you're just going to carry through? That's a great question. I've been asked that a couple of times. And I think the answer to that is I am going to incorporate one tiny aspect from each book into the next book. And there is a reference to book two and the last chapter of the violin conspiracy has nothing to do with the story, but there is one reference. And when you read uh, my second book, The Composer's Last Score, if you're reading carefully, you will catch it from the violin conspiracy. And in my third book, I'm going to incorporate it. That's that's going to be my little niche. I'm going to incorporate one tiny aspect. So we need to read them all for the Easter eggs. Got to read them all for the Easter eggs. (laughs) Have the Slocum universe. That's it. Boom. Right here. Right here in my (laughs) office. Right here. So what is uh, something that you think you accomplish best as a writer? Ooh, um, that's, that's the best questions. I tell you, as a writer, I, I like to think that um, authenticity, I, I get a sense of realism, like the, the characters you can really relate to. They're real people. Um, you know, just, just that these could be people that you know. And I, I really like to get that sense of authenticity across. And I, I'm hoping that it comes across that way. And the opposite side of that coin, and I know this one's going to be tougher, but uh, what, what do you think that uh, is your worst aspect of it? What's something that you want to do better? Everything. <laughs> no, I really want to, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I take every bit of crit- criticism from everyone. You know, it, it, if it's something that people like, or if it's something that people don't like, I listen to it and I take it and I try to learn from it. 
Um, I, I know I'm not the greatest writer in the world. Um, I, I, you know, I, I just want to provide entertainment for people through my writing and however I can do that. If there's something that I need to improve upon, I want to hear it. If people say this was this, or this was this, or I got a sense of this, you know, I'm going to take that in consideration. And I, I definitely want to, you know, make changes to where they will be, you know, I, I want things to be entertaining for people. If they're going to take the time to read it, I want them at least to be entertained. So I am definitely open to any type of critique or criticism that people will give. And hopefully that will improve my writing. Our last interview was with Joe Lansdale. And he said something that I, I hadn't really thought about, but it was, you know, that wisdom that came out of nowhere that I'm like, oh my God, that's the hugest epiphany for me. And he was talking about how he doesn't read his good press because if you read the good press, you have to read the bad press. So, so do, do you, do you read the press or do you, do you avoid it? I, uh, well, sometimes you can't help, but read it. Like you open an email and there's something there, you know, it's not like I go out, I do not go out and actively search for what people say about it. I don't do that. If someone sends me a message or they, they write me and, and they have something to say about it, good or bad, I do read that way, but I don't go out looking for it. I was told early on um, the first couple of reviews in the book, the first one was glowing. And the second one, I think my very first two, the second one was the complete opposite, how horrible it was and how it was so unbelievable and just nothing was good about it. And I decided that day, yeah, I don't need to read, you know, the one person I wanted one person to enjoy. That's all I wanted. And that's what I got. So it's okay. If a hundred people love it and a hundred people hate it, that's okay because a hundred people love it. I'm totally okay with it. So I do not go out and read the press. No, 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 no. Meanwhile, I'm over here Google searching my name every day going, what's up? <laughs> when I Google search mine, when, when I used to do that, I'll say, my nephew is the first thing that comes up. He's, he's, his name is Brendan Slocum as well. And I, I Google my name and his picture pops up and I'm like, dude, really? Okay, come on. <laughs> so you were a, a younger, better looking version of me, but you know, come on, come on. And we're, we're kind of wrapping up. Um, is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, you guys have been phenomenal. This has been such a fun interview. And I just, I, I want to thank everybody for supporting the book. I want to thank you guys for having me on. This has been great. Oh, the pleasure has been all ours. Thank you so much, Brendan, for joining us on Unstacked. The Violin Conspiracy is available in the library collection for checkout. It can also be purchased through your favorite bookstore and online vendors. Check out his website, brendanslocum.com, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-S-L-O-C-U-M-B.com. Stay safe and read, my friend. It's good for you. Bye. Bye.